I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. In just a moment, we'll be speaking with a uh, professor at Utah Valley University about uh, a fascinating line of study. It's called polygenic scoring. Uh, You see, the the way this works is it looks at uh, your DNA. And from that DNA uh, observation, they try to make predictions as to your ability to be uh, successful in school. Uh, or in terms of your intelligence. It's it's an interesting thing. Let let me ask you, parents, if you could tell how well your child would perform in school before they attended it, would you want to know? There's an interesting article on this in NBC News, which uh, was brought to my attention here recently, and I thought, well, you know what, let's let's dive into this. Do we have any uh, local minds that are aware uh, of any of like this? Uh, And so from the University or Utah Valley University Associate Professor of Psychology, Dr. Russell Warren, joins us on the line now. Doctor, you have uh, submitted your own research on DNA testing to predict educational success. Is that right? Tell us all about it. Well, I, I've written about the topic. I've not done the original research myself, but I'm an educational psychologist, and I have several colleagues who are into behavioral genetics. And so I've written about the issue. And yes, it sounds like crazy science fiction that you can give a DNA test to a baby at birth and make predictions about how well they'll do in school. But it's currently possible right now with existing technology. How does the process work? Um, The short version is that um, we draw upon research that's been done in huge sample sizes. I'm, I'm saying uh, a million people, um, hundreds of thousands of people in the smaller studies, about finding DNA variants that are more common in people who have graduated from high school, less common in high uh, and less common in high school dropouts. Same thing, DNA variants that are more common in college graduates, less common in those who didn't finish college, and we basically tally up those DNA variants. And everybody has some that are associated with a higher education level and some are associated with a lower education level. But the idea is that if you have more of these variants that are associated with higher education, then you are predicted to to stay in school longer. Uh, if you have fewer, you're predicted to, to drop out. And um, the predictions have gotten to the point where right now the predictions are about a child's um, educational attainment are better than making a prediction based on the parent's socioeconomic status. Fascinating. Is this something that's already in practice now? Are, are parents able to, like, submit their children for testing along these lines? 
Um, it's not a wide-scale practice. No one or no organization is doing this um, in a wide scale. But there's nothing stopping anyone right now from going and getting a DNA test from 23andMe or from Ancestry, giving it to their child, getting the results, and then downloading that genome and um, uploading it to a website that calculates these scores. Oh, wow. Wow. I Shoot. I, I have that information on my on my myself. I I might do one of these downloads here tonight, but I'm nervous about the results. You you've gotten this test yourself, is that correct? How did yeah, it work I, out for you? Yeah, I got a 23andMe test because I I was concerned about some health issues, and thankfully those turned out okay. But when I started writing my latest piece talking about this, the impacts of this in the education system, I thought, well, let's see how easy is this. Is it so easy you can just Google, give me a predicted IQ based on DNA? No, it's not that easy. You do have to know a little bit, but I think it's only going to get easier. Every every technological breakthrough gets gets easier to implement as, as early adopters um, adopt it, and then it spreads to other people. Were you able to, and I don't want to you know, get too far into your personal <laughs> business, but were you able to compare the predictions uh, to the way you've turned out in life? <laughs> Well, I, I, pre- I examined a couple. Um, you can do this for really any trait that has some genetic influence, which is almost everything in humans. So a good example is height. I'm somewhat shorter than average. I'm about 5'7", and my polygenic score for height predicts that I would be slightly taller than average. That one's wrong. <laughs> um, but I, I also um, looked at one for weight, and that one is about right. Um, there's some, some others for health. You know, I don't know whether I'll get diabetes or whether I'll get a heart attack until either happens or I die of something else. Um, so the jury's still out on some of those. But yeah, I, I got a polygenic IQ score um, for me. And um, based on it, it predicted that, yeah, I would finish college. And well, I'm a college professor. <laughs> Well, there you go. There's got to be some accuracy to it. Yeah. Sample size of one confirms it. Sure. <laughs> there you go. Uh, there is there is some measure of controversy behind this type mm-hmm. of genetic study. It could yep. be misapplied. Uh, you, you think about issues uh, like the potential for eugenics or, or something mm-hmm. like that. In fact, it reminds me of uh, something from that movie Gattaca. And keep in mind, yeah. this child is still you, simply the best of you. As you write about this uh, field of research and this uh, in this process, wh- where do you stand on all this? Well, I think that we should use the scores, but should, we should never use them as the sole basis for making any decisions, because these scores are only going to be perfectly accurate if a trait is a hundred percent genetically determined, and there's almost no educational traits that are like that. In fact, I can't think of one. Uh, And so environment's always going to matter. Now it will matter more for some outcomes more than others. And so we shouldn't just become genetic determinists and say, well, the genes genes decide it all. Um, And so my view is that, yes, these scores should be used. And while they're they're a better measure or they're a better predictor than parents' um, income are for children, they're still not accurate enough for widespread use. And so my my personal position, this is just speaking for myself, is that, yes, we should look forward to their use, but that 
they are not justified in being an important source of data right now. They will get better, though. When, when you say use, what could we possibly use them for, if not for you know policy and decision making? I one of the things that excites me the most is giving a DNA test to to a child at birth, and then discovering, whoa, this child's at risk for autism. So let's start the intervention for them at age three months or six months instead of three or five or six years when when their behavior might be uh, and their condition might be a lot less malleable. Um, on the other extreme, I, I can imagine that also for dyslexia. Hmm. Instead of waiting for a kid to fall behind in reading from their peers, let's give people who are at risk for dyslexia the intervention while they're learning to read so they can start off with the help that they may one day need. Understood. Dr. Russell Warren, thank you so much for your time. Got to let you go. Time is tight. But uh, Mm -hmm. again, Dr. Warren, Associate Professor of Psychology at Utah Valley University. We've been talking about polygenic scoring. Uh, A fascinating conversation. Look forward to speaking to you again sometime. Great. Thanks for having me. All right, doctor. Uh, A quick break. When we return, uh, I want to share with you some of my observations uh, that came from last night's debate between the two candidates for attorney general here in the great state. That's coming up on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.